right, so this is the final message in the series, uh, Bulls, Bears, Blackhawks, Oh My. And we are uh, concluding it with the Cubbies today. And so uh, I see some of you wore your regalia today. Um, hopefully no fights break out between Sox fans and Cubs fans this morning, uh, but it will be okay. Um, so we're going to close it out with the Cubs, which this story, this actual, the, uh, the article that I'm going to read to you is actually what caused... Uh, the whole series. This is why I wanted to do this whole series on Chicago sports teams uh, and and uh, and the scripture and how we can glean from it because I thought it just was so poignant. It it, it hit me so hard as when I uh, read it. Kelly actually found it and she was like, "Do you believe this?" And she emailed it to me. Um, and uh, so it, it is what it is. But we're all before we get into that. I want to tell you we're going to start a new series next week called "Beautiful Mess." And it's going to be all about relationships, okay? Aptly named, right? A beautiful mess. It's going to be about parenting, about marriage relationships, dating relationships, uh, friend relationships, all kinds of relationships. It's just a beautiful mess. And there's going to be some creative elements in this. Uh, We will be trying to do uh, some pre-service and after-service ideas. Probably this little area underneath here um, where some of you sit uh, will not be there next week. Uh, well, the area will be there, but it'll be occupied by other things. Um, we're going to take the moment to maybe have a little craft or some some sort of beautiful mess for you to do with your family or do with your spouse or, or whatnot, okay? Uh, so uh, just be prepared for that. If you're a perennial backseat sitter, know that your seat might be taken, okay? I know that. Prepare yourself. Uh, so it is what it is, um, but that'll, we'll be doing that. So Hopefully pre-service and after-service will have some, some things for you to do, just to kind of cement in the messages uh, that we'll be doing for the next several weeks. And then after that, it's Easter time. Woo-woo! Uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll be good to go, and I'm very excited about a beautiful mess. So as we get back into Bulls, Bears, Blackhawks, oh my, and the Cubbies, here is the story that kicked off this whole series. It's about the Cubs, and if you didn't know the Cubs, it's kind of been a while since they won a World Series. It's kind of a defining trait of the Cubs is they were losers, the lovable losers. This is not a nickname that you want in life, um, but this is what they were. And so if you were a Cubs fans, you knew how to deal with long suffering. That part of the scripture, you're like, got it, nailed it. You know, you have relatives that all they wanted to do in life was to see the Cubbies win the World Series. I'm a Dodgers fan. We're used to these things. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, you know. Uh, my first memories of watching sports with my dad is uh, watching uh, Oral Hershiser pitch in the World Series um, and, you know, winning. So that's, uh, there's those things. But the Cubs, it's been a while. It's been a while. And uh, everyone started getting on the Cubs bandwagon. If you're a, a diehard Cubs fan, you might have been a little put off by everyone else claiming to be Cubs fans. It's kind of like the, the antithesis of what's happening today. Everyone ha- hates the Patriots. So everyone is an Atlanta uh, Falcons fan today. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, go Falcons. Who's their quarterback? No idea, but go Falcons. Right? So you, no one cares. Jimmy, if he was here, would be the only guy who would be like, oh, and he can tell you all the stats and go on and on about it. Uh, but no one else really cares about the Patriots. Well, if you're a Patriots fan, okay. Um, but they are so hated that everyone is rooting for the other team. No one hated the Cleveland Indians. Like, the, the Cleveland Indians, they're almost as big a lovable losers as the Cubs. They haven't won a, a World Series in, like, 
59, 49 years? Something like there's a nine in there. And they haven't won in a long time. Everybody's like, oh, the, the, the terrible Indians, they always win. No one is saying that. You know, if it was the Yankees, I would have understood everyone wanting to root for the Cubs because the Yankees, right? They just give you the heebie-jeebies. I can't even say the word. You know, yeah, Yankees. Um, amen. See? All the spirituality based in, uh, in professional baseball. So this survey went out that rocked my world. And I tell you all these things to put, give you basis for this survey. Here it is. America overwhelmingly wanted the Chicago Cubs to win the World Series. But do Cubs fans, this was the question asked, do Cubs fans actually want the Cubbies to win the World Series? This, was, this survey went out right before the seventh game of the World Series. By more to, than a four-to-one ratio, America as a whole is rooting for the Cubs to defeat the Cleveland Indians, according to a Yahoo Sports uh, YouGov poll. At the same, one in four diehard Cubs fans say that if their team finally wins the World Series for the first time since 1908, they will actually miss rooting for a team that's identity is rooted in losing. One in four. So you guys laugh right now, but some of you did it. One in four. That's 25% of Cubs fans were like, man, we, yay, Cubs, please keep on losing. What? Harry Carey is rolling over in his grave. In other words, more than 10,000 of the 42,000 or so fans who'll be, who screamed their heads off at Wrigley Field will actually miss the 108-year losing streak should the, if the Cubs finally win. Make sense? Well, it does for Cub fans who, according to the same poll, say losing brings them together. In fact, 86% say there is a camaraderie against, uh, amongst Cubs fans that is rooted in pride associated with rooting for perennial loser. And while most do not want to see the Cubs... Well, sorry. While most want to see the Cubs win in their lifetime, 3% of diehard Cubs fans... 3% say they actually don't want them to. As Harry Carey would say, holy cow. This just blew my mind that people would be like, you know, I kind of like them losing. They're my team, but I want them to lose. It just, and it wasn't like, you know, the 3% I understood, 3% of anybody, you know, that's, okay, 3%, you can get 3% of people to say you know, whatever, that, you know, whatever, you know I'm going to stop. Um, but 3%, <laughs> you can get 3% of people to say anything, but, 25%, that's a large number of saying, you yeah, know, I'm going to be disappointed if they actually win. What are you talking about? We're, the theme verse for this, this series has been Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Cubs fans are a perfect example of going, there's the prize. I don't know if I really want to go there. I don't know if I really want to strive for that. I don't know if that's really where I want to be because, because I ha something has to change. I don't get to be the love of a loser anymore. Now I, I have a new identity. I have something new. If, I, if, I, if we win, something's going to change, and that makes me nervous. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward towards. See, what happens is the identity of the Chicago Cubs change. They're a great team. 
and they have the opportunity to be a great, great team for a while. They got a bunch of young guys with cheap contracts that they can keep around for a while that are awesome. They should win two or three more World Series with this crew. As long as Schwarber's knee stays together, they got a chance to do anything. So the identity of the Chicago Cubs for this century could be totally different. Everything could change. Cubs fans are not going to know. A quarter of them are going to go, I don't know who I am anymore. We're winners. Ah! I make fun of it because we do the same thing. We do the same thing when we're, we're pressed with an idea of, well, you know, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but who I am and, and what I'm about will have to change. My identity will have to change. We do the same thing when pressed into who God is for us. When he says, hey, I want you to strive toward the goal. I want you to press onto the goal. I want you to be more like me. And like, Yeah, there's freedom in that, and I see that, but I'm scared of that freedom because you don't know where I'm at, God. You don't know who I am, God. You don't know the, the struggles I have. This, this is my world. I am an angry person. And so everyone knows at me that I'm going to lose my temper. And I'm safe in that because people know they know how to react. If I lose this temper, who, how will they know who I am? And you know, Jared, I would never say that about myself. You do. You do. Jared, I'm a busy person. This is, this is who I am. I, I'm always overwhelmed and I'm always busy. I'm always busy. I'm always busy. If I, get my, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I streamline my life, what will I do with all my time? We come up with crazy excuses because we're so scared of what our identity may be. Are we willing to give up the identity you have for the identity you will have? Are we willing to give up the identity you have for the identity you will have? And this is a question that will frame the rest of our talk today. Because there's some things that we hold on to. There's some things that we just, we have death grips on. That we have just held on to. That we are not willing to get rid of. And they're holding us back and they're keeping us from striving towards the goal. Right? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But we've done things where we're just holding on to for dear life. There may be even a current pushing us towards a wonderful place, and we're just holding on. It reminds me of a story in the Bible, a happening that Jesus does. It's the man at the well, and he asks this question. Jesus asks this question. And it's a question I think we, we, we ask as Cubs fans. It's a question that we ask ourselves. It's a question that Jesus asks us. And the answer to the question, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think takes some time to meditate on. It takes some time to really think about. The question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And we have different circumstances in our lives. We have different things going on in our lives. I think sometimes we're like, I'm pretty comfortable here. I mean, I'm comfortable in my uncomfortability. I know where the potholes are here. I know where the stuff is here. But Jesus asked you the question, do you want to get well? What is our answer? Are we willing to lose who we are to be all we can be? 
Just like the Cubs winning the World Series cost something, it changed their identity. They cannot be lovable losers anymore. That's not who they are anymore. They are champions. Their identity changes. Are we willing to change our, our identity? Do we want to get well? John 5, 1 through 9 says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, where in, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, in which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And Jesus asked, said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. Jesus didn't ask him about water. He didn't ask him about, do you want to get dunked? Do you want to get baptized? Do you, what do you believe? What do, you, do you have these six tenets perfectly uh, in line? How's your Judaism? When was the last time you made sacrifices? No, he didn't ask any of these things questions. He asked, do you want to get well? And it's the same question he asks us today. And I think our responses sometimes are just like this guy. Immediately, the man gives an excuse. An excuse to a question that wasn't even asked, right? He gives an excuse immediately. Do you want to get well? Ah, uh, no one helps me. What? I, 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 wasn't the question. What, what, what goes on here is the pool, pool of uh, Bethesda had this idea where if you were the first one in, if it had bubbles in it or something, and, and, and the, the mythology around the pool was that if you were the first one in when the water bubbled, uh, that you would get healed. So all kinds of people would be around here. And I don't know what his game plan was. I mean, he is paralyzed. He's got a lot of faith. The man has a lot of faith. He is paralyzed. The pool, if it bubbles, he's going to do what? How is he going to get in there? And if it doesn't work... Right? I've told you all my, 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 uh, my state swim meet cramp story, right? I was in a state swim meet. I'm surrounded by some of the best swimmers in the world. I jumped in, I, after I got out of a race, I jumped in the diving well at the natatorium. Right there next to me is all the world record holders and the Olympic trials people who made it to the Olympics. Their names are on the wall. I'm swimming among greatness. I jump in the diving well to cool off. My whole body goes into a full body cramp. I am drowning next to some of the best swimmers that have full-ride scholarships to Stanford, USC. <laughs> I have been offered scholarships myself, and I am going to die. There is a lifeguard six feet, nine feet, 12 feet, 18 feet away from me. I'm going to die. What? This is not a good idea, right, to, to jump in a, a 20-foot pool when you're having full-body cramps. I don't recommend it. This guy is paralyzed. For 38 years, I'm pretty sure he's not up for his swim lessons. What is he going to do when he jumps in the pool? He has faith that he's going to be healed. I think, I think, I think Jesus at some point is like, this guy, he's close. Like he's, you know, he's, he's got the right desperation. He's got the right, all, all these motives. He wants to get in that pool. Okay, buddy, we can take care. Don't you jump in the pool. <laughs> Don't do that. We'll uh, get some water wings or something out for you. But Sorry. My brain and I read the Bible and these things happen, okay? Question asked, 
Jesus asks, do you want to get well? And his first response is an excuse. I don't have anyone to help me. That's not what I asked you. Do you want to get well? And I think our response a lot of the times is the exact same. We come up with an excuse when we hear Jesus say, do you want to get well? I, uh, uh. One of the things this guy might have been doing, and it's kind of conjecture on my part, but it's a festival time. And so he knows there's going to be lots of people coming in. And he's by the sheep gate, so there's a lot of tourists going to come in. He might be looking for pity. This would be a great time to be like, look at me, I'm paralyzed. Give me some money. This opportunity, I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth, but this could be happening. As he looks for money there, he's looking for, is he looking to get better or is he looking for pity? I think this is a question. It's real easy for us as we have uh, people come off the street and look for stuff here at the church. When we have people in our lives, you drive past somebody. Are they, do they really want to get better or are they looking for pity? But then I also, that goes, you know, we can look at the world in that way or we can look at ourselves in that way. If you've ever been to a youth camp with a bunch of students, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to a youth camp with a bunch of students, one person has a life-changing event with with God, then all of a sudden 30 other teenage girls do too because that one person got attention. They're looking for that same pity, that same attention. And you got one of the hard things about being a youth pastor is finding out where's the true sentiment and where's the, the false sentiment. But we do the same thing. We start looking for pity. So when the question is asked, do I want to get well, do I come with excuses? Do I, do I, how can I work this for pity? How can I get something from this? Have we fooled ourselves in thinking that we're trying to get well when in fact we're looking for pity? Because we do a really good job at fooling ourselves and our own motives. And sometimes it takes some self-reflection. It takes someone else to, to say the hard things like, what are you doing? in our life, to really figure out where we're going, what we're doing. What's our motivation? Is our first response when going for what is important in our lives an excuse? Is it? Sometimes it is for me, I'll tell you that right now. There's some things that this guy does and that Jesus does through him and for him because of the attitude in which he has that we want to look at today. What's the blueprint on how to get well, right? Hopefully we can all agree that we all got issues. We all have stuff. We all have mess ups. We all have problems. I know I do. I have things that I'm working on every day. Being a dad again, seven years later, I'm a drastically different man than I was seven years ago. And Good thing for Lucy, she gets a much better father than Bowen and Kendall did. I think I can get most improved player for Bowen and Kendall, but I just want to get MVP for Lucy, okay? So uh, there's, there's, I just, I'm a different man. And Kelly was like, yes, you are. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but I'm, I'm a different guy. And, and a lot of you know your stories, and you guys know I'm a much different person now than I was then. How do we continue that? How do we, we step into that? So we have to ask ourselves today, to st- do we want to stop living the little lives and believing the lies that have been told ourselves and get up and walk? Do we want to do it? 
Because if we look at our lives, we look at where we're at, we look at what we're struggling with now, they're petty and they're little and they're small and God is calling us to so much more. He's calling us to get up and walk, to strive towards the goal. How does this happen? Where's the secret sauce? How does this, how does this all work? First thing is miracles happen when we obey God. Miracles happen when we obey God. Miracles happen when we obey God. This guy obeys. I've seen people around disabled people before. They can be very, very, very cruel. So here comes this stranger, and he walks up to a paralyzed man and, and looks down at him and says, You want to get better? From the perspective of the paralytic, is he, what do you think I want? Are you messing with me? What are you doing? My heart, what? If I wasn't paralyzed, I'd smack you right now, right? There's got to be all kinds of those things. We've, we read it through Jesus' eyes. We read it because we know the end of the story. We know who Jesus is. But this guy is laying down by a pool, paralyzed, and a guy comes up to him and says, you want to get better? You understand? But he obeys and he's willing. His desperation in getting healed overarches everything else. His desperation in getting better has stripped him of the identity for himself, his own, all the, the pride that he may have had. And it's the same kind of spot we need to find our own selves in. It's a desperation of finding our identity in Christ. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter if I'm made a fool of because my desperation as I strive towards the goal has to be on God. Miracles happen when we obey God. This is amazing to me that he, he, he's, he is willing to step into that. He's willing to do whatever this stranger comes up to him and says. Some of us have been throwing out excuses for far too long. It's time to try obedience. God. Second thing is miracles happen when we are teachable. Miracles happen when we are teachable. Some of us, when we hear what we need to change, when we feel the conviction in our hearts of what needs to be stripped from our identity to become who God wants us to be. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what my parents taught me. You don't know what I've been taught. You don't know what I've even been teaching. You don't know my story. And so in that, we become very, 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 very comfortable in who we are when who we are is the wrong kind of person. That would have been like if the Cubs decided, you know what? We're not going to draft really good people. We're not going to trade for them. And Joe Madden wasn't supposed to be their coach. Do you guys remember this? He wasn't supposed to be their coach. They hired another guy, perfectly good coach. Joe Madden came available and they said, you know what, buddy? Here's a seven package. We're going to hire the good guy, the proven winner. They went out. They defied all kinds of wisdom. They did all kinds of things wrong. They went out and got a great GM who said, you know what? We're going to try everything different. And they got results. The Cubs wouldn't have done that, wouldn't have been willing to spend the money, wouldn't have been able to say, hey, we've made wrong choices. Let's do better. They still would be the same lovable losers for us. 
If we continue to do the same things we've always done, why should we ever expect different results? When God is calling us to strive towards the goal, he is calling us for movement towards him. And I know for me, I get very easily stuck in where I'm at. I will pitch a tent. This is where I'm at. I know the lay of the land. There's a problem there. There's a problem here. There's good stuff here. I'm safe. I'm happy. Let's stay here. When God is continuously saying, I'm pushing you forward. Strive towards me. There's a goal this way. Come to me. Miracles happen when we're teachable, when we're moldable, when we're open to what Jesus has for us. Finally, miracles happen when we are available. Miracles happen when we are available. I just have the image of this guy like, I really wish this dude would get out of my way so I can watch the water and see if it stirs. Right? Like, come on, Jesus, get out of my way. I don't know. What are all these people here? Like all these, these teenage boys really don't need them around here. You know, all the disciples just crowding around this guy. Like, wait, wait. But instead, he's like, okay, what do you have? What do you have to offer me here? And Jesus says, do you want to get better? He says, yes. I love that he's, he's so available, so in the moment that when Jesus says, take up your mat and walk, he just does it. Like that would have been amazing to watch. To watch someone, can you imagine the other beggars around the pool? Like, oh, pick me! <laughs> pick, pick me! What? He's been there for 38 years! 38 years! Oh, he just got up and walked. What would that have been like? Did he like do click his heels? You know, what? what, what I don't know. Um, once again, why it's fun to read the Bible through my eyes, right? You get all kinds of fun stuff going on. But miracles happen when you're available. See, as a, as a man, as a get-it-done kind of personality, I put my head down, get the to-do list done, get all these things. Okay, well, this is what happens. We're going we're gonna to just go. And I surround myself with, I cocoon myself in with just busyness and getting things that need to be done, done. However, what happens then is I'm not available for my wife. I'm not available for my kids. I'm not available for friends. I'm not available for other avenues. I'm not available for divine interruptions. What if you would have said, you know, I got, Jesus, I got a prime spot here for the pool. That's nice. You guys can keep on moving, but I'm, I've gotten closer. I've gotten closer to the pool. And as ludicrous as that sounds for us, that's what we are. That's what we do. Like, God, I'm doing pretty good by myself here. I don't really need your help. I don't need to change the identity. I don't need to do these things. Are we available for God to do a work in our lives? Are we available? Have we opened up our hard hearts for God to make a cleansing work, a changing work, a life-altering work in us so that we can truly strive towards the goal. We can be the people that God wants us to be. We can be made well. Some of us in this room are struggling with deep, dark things with depression and with suicidal thoughts and with hurting yourself and with all kinds of stuff. Some of you are struggling with addictions that we can't, like, oh, we're all perfect in here. Yeah, right. We're struggling with, with, with addictions. We're struggling with temper problems. We're struggling with, with just getting along with our spouses. We're struggling with all kinds of things. Are we available for God to change us? We're struggling with hurts that happened years and years and years ago. Are we available? 
When Jesus asks you the question, do you want to get well? What is our response? This morning, I hope that our response is, yes, Lord, I want to get up and walk. We're going to take communion. And as the guys come forward, they're going to pass out the communion uh, elements. As we take communion, I, I wanted to do uh, this communion to end our series in this thought. As we strive on towards the goal, as we take communion, and the scripture says we need to examine ourselves and, and get rid of any sin that's in our life uh, as we take communion. But as we take communion, as we take the, the body and the blood, uh, the symbols of body and blood of Christ into us today, let us think, what am I holding on to? What am I carrying around? That is hindering me from finishing the race. Guys, go ahead and and, and start passing those out. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What are the anchors that you have in your life? What are the ideas in your life that really just kind of hold it back? Maybe there's some things that you've been struggling with. And right now, you like, I would really live for God if this was changed. I would really, if this question was answered, I would really, all these excuses. Well, right now, when we take a communion, I want you just to lay those excuses at the feet of Jesus. Lay those speed bumps at the feet of Jesus. Ben, come on up. Here at Shoreward Church of God, we practice open communion. Which means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to go through a class or anything like that. If you believe in Jesus, welcome to the family. But as we take these elements, let us examine ourselves. Let us look deeply inside and say, God, what do you need from me? Where are the excuses that need to go away? So I can say yes. I want to get well. God, as we take these elements, as we look at this this cup that symbolizes the blood of Christ that washes away our sins, that makes all things new in us. God, we hold it with reverence. We thank you for the opportunity. And we don't want to do this as a rote procedure. We don't want to do this as just a, another thing we do once a month. We want to look at communion as, a, as an opportunity to examine ourselves, to rid ourselves of the junk, and the, to make a decision in this moment, a choice in this moment that we will strive towards the goal. God, we ask you to remove these things in our hearts, in our souls, in our heads, these blocks that we have, these excuses we have. God, that you would give us the courage to step into that. God, as we take this bread, that we think about the life that it symbolizes. 
a life broken for us, but a a new life for us. That this would symbolize the energy to, to press on through the goal. Through the distractions, through the things that try to pull us back, the thing the chains that try to bind us, that this would give us the nourishment to keep on pressing, to keep on striving, to keep on stepping towards you. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.